another thing I was going to ask you, uh, and I'm sure you probably know what this is too, McKinley Mbembe. What do you think of that? Well, the classic explanation of what McKinley Mbembe is is probably a sauropod dinosaur, but some people find that hard to believe. Is that kind of like a brontosaurus and, or something? Yeah, like? but a small. Yeah, it would be yeah, a smaller yeah. one, though. Okay. Well, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But the sauropods, they included like uh, <clears throat> brontosaurus, apatosaurus, diplodocus. Yeah, yeah. So. Brachiosaurus, too? Wasn't he in the aquatic one? Brachiosaurus, the yeah. Brachiosaurus was a, was a sauropod. Bred through the, breathed through the top of his head. It was like the nose was on the top of his head. Very interesting. It was like a brontosaurus. Yeah. Well, with anyway, a, so you're talking about in the Congo. Back in these swamps, the Lickawalla swamps that cover, they're like the size of two estates. And it's eat up poisonous snakes and insects. It's swampy. And swampy. Yeah. It's, it's supposedly just a, I mean, just an incredible pain in the butt just to even get back there to look for this thing. Oh, wow. But you've got, you've got missionaries that have gone over there to try to convert the natives that claim to have seen it. On the edges of the swamps. And so, very ill-tempered creature. Yeah. And the stories have been going on for at least a hundred years. You've got a, a history of stories about this supposed dinosaur back in the Congo. They claim to have found footprints. And there's been several expeditions back in there. I know a few people have actually been over there looking for it. And... uh there's a big fruit that grows on a tree there called the Malumbo plant, and they think that could conceivably be a food source. And the folklore around it says that it's very aggressive with crocodiles and hippos, that if a crocodile or a hippo goes into its, its area territory, that it will fight with it and run them out. Oh, wow. And it will supposedly defend itself against people, too. And there's a, a story, I don't know how much truth there is to it. Supposedly in the 1950s, some of these natives killed and ate one, and some of the people died from eating the meat. So, yeah, yeah. they got sick. So I don't know. And the Belgian soldier, there was a, a Belgian expedition. There was an expedition that went in. There were soldiers that supposedly mm-hmm. were attacked. But isn't it uh, one of the recurring themes, though, that all these expeditions that have gone in there say that the local pygmy uh, indigenous people – all of them talk about it like, yeah, it's over there. We've seen it. People have seen it all the time. I, I mean, that's yeah, my they, understanding. Supposedly they show them different pictures mm-hmm. of different animals, and they'll show them one of, of a sawbot dinosaur, and they'll say, mm-hmm. Yeah, and they'll that say they that that's what it is. And, and supposedly yep. it, it'll even kill elephants, too. Like, they, they say that it'll kill anything like that comes in its area. Yeah, well, wow. there's other theories about it. Besides it being a sauropod dinosaur, some of the other ideas I've heard uh, bandied about are that it could be a giant monitor lizard, something along the lines of Megalania, the giant prehistoric uh, relative of the Komodo dragon. Which that is got from about Australia, right? Yeah, it's from Australia. Yeah, so there's some speculation that it could be a, a giant uh, monitor lizard. Another idea is it could be a giant soft-shell turtle of some kind. You've got quite big soft-shell turtles that we know about from Africa that can get... Well, I have a question on that one, Scott. Sure, yeah, go ahead. 
Well, you know, from from what I've read and gathered about uh, Mokele and Bembe was that the natives, the local indigenous people, describe it as having a long neck. So how could that be any kind of a monitor uh, a mo- uh, monitor lizard? Because it's got a long well, neck. Well, some monitor lizards, some monitor lizards do have long necks. Look at um, Varanus Salvador. It's got a very long neck. Right. So another idea that's been suggested is it could be mammalian. It could be a giant rhinoceros because they know there were prehistoric uh, rhinoceroses in Asia that got 18 feet tall and they had long necks too. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. It's, what is it called? Endricotherium. Uh, I-N-D-R-I-C-O therium. If you Google it, you'll see a picture of it. So that's possible, too, but the classic explanation for what they think Mokele Mbimbi is is some kind of sauropod dinosaur that's managed to hang on back in the swamps. That's crazy how, how many species of animals have come and gone since we, and, and, and like, we oh, are, it's, just, it's unreal. It's just unreal, the life. I mean, we're still finding new ones that lived millions of years ago that we didn't know about. Well, there's an antelope know? they found in in Vietnam, I believe, that yeah, has that gills. Yeah, that was quite a few. The, the view quang ox. Yeah. yeah. I know about that. Yeah. What is yeah. it? The other one. Uh, it's so weird. Like, why would it have that, though? I mean, it's just. It's an adaptation thing, well, I guess. 1976, they discovered a giant filter feeding shark they didn't know about called the Mega Mouse Shark of Hawaii. It was completely unknown. So. Well, it, yeah. according to Time Magazine, I noticed, um, and this was a, about a year or so ago, I was going through the grocery store. And I noticed Time Magazine of all there were you know of all the new animals discovered, and there was over a hundred species that that they'd done little clips on that had been discovered, and and they ranged in size from something the size of a of a mouse all the way up to uh, that particular antelope we're talking about in uh, you know Vietnam. They had you know, and this and this is an annual thing when that. Time Magazine does a piece on these animals that are discovered every year. So that leads us all the way back to all the forested areas, the, the, the places on land. You know, when we stop and think, how much of all, you know, of all this territory that we have all over the world, how much of it has truly been explored? And the area where Mokele and Bembe is located that's that's the Congo. It's so dang hard to get back in there, like you said. Right in the middle of Africa. Yeah. You stop and think, okay, how many people on a daily basis actually try to get back in there into the deepest, darkest part of these uh, of the Congo? And, and your answer is probably going to be, uh, let's see, we get maybe one or two every 20 years, 30 years. Well, what about what about the the episode we did about lizards? We did, we did one. We called it Lizard Potluck. You remember that one? Oh yeah, gosh. Yeah, and there was one of the story where the guy had they saw that lizard. Um, the story we got from him, I believe it was near Flagstaff, and it was it was killing and it was eating an elk, like it was it was a giant lizard. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a giant lizard. There are reports from, and of course they they get pushed back to out. To, I guess you could say to the crazy section by some by some folks who who see them and then they go they fall off the radar. But there, are, I saw a video. It's been a while, but in this video, these people claim to have 
come across eggs and that one of them, one or all three of them hatched or one of them hatched, the whole point was, is that it was supposedly what came out of that egg was, uh, you know, it was like a, a little baby T-Rex or like those little raptors you see in that movie. That Jurassic was on Park. Game of Thrones, dude. You're talking no, about Game no, no, of Thrones. No, 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 no. The no, three no. eggs and the dragons. No, no, no. This okay. is, this is, they found <laughs> these people. That's that was the story. Yeah, her name was Daenerys. No, it's got nothing to do with Game of <laughs> Game of Thrones, you know. But this is, and, and this was um, in Nevada, Utah area, up in those those really arid areas um, that that have a lot that have a lot of mountainous uh, uh, terrain in that area. But this was the area, and, and you hear about a lot of these weird places. But of course, you hear these oh, weird stories in these weird places. There's an old newspaper account from the Yukon of these people claiming to see a theropod dinosaur along the lines of uh, T-Rex. If you'll Google the Partridge Creek creature, it should take you to the information about it. The Partridge Creek creature. Yeah. Okay, Partridge Creek A lot Creek of people creature. think it's just it. a made-up newspaper hoax, but nobody knows for sure, so... What about the Indiana, the one we got, I think, was Indiana, where the guy, the it looked like a velociraptor ran across the road. Do you remember that, Sal? Yeah, yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, there was some, we, we, get, we get these weird stories of like, like I don't know what they are. I mean, flying yeah. dinosaurs, especially down in South Texas, there's always between well, Alice yeah, and Brownsville, like you get like pterodactyl. Yeah, Thunderbird, yeah. And, no, you got Mixed up in the Thunderbird thing, you have some that sound like these giant prehistoric uh, vulture-type birds called pterotorns, and then you have some that sound like pterosaurs. Do you believe that that dinosaurs are still here? I mean, do you think that that's possible? Not, not Possibly just the, in the isolated aquatic. populations, but they'd have to be really back in places that they can hide. I mean, I've actually been up to Canada, and there's parts of Canada you could hide a whole herd of dinosaurs out there and not even know it. I, I mean, believe it. I believe it. Um, I mean, you just drive on a highway for like five hours. And, and that goes back to what I mentioned earlier about many, many people out there live under the assumption that we have covered every inch of the in, of the here of in the Texas, yeah. Lake Caddo. I oh, mean, I can tell you from. I can tell you from personal experience driving across Quebec and Ontario. I mean, there's just just you and a highway for miles and miles and miles out in the middle of nowhere. If you broke car broke down, Bigfoot could come in and abduct you, and nobody <laughs> know about it. Yeah, and, and and oddly enough, Scott, here in Texas, you you start doing that it, it, on these. Uh, Smaller country roads, not the main interstates. Mm -hmm. You do this on these smaller country roads, like, you know, akin to what you've mentioned out in, 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 in Quebec, Canada, that we get the same out here. Mm -hmm. We get the same out here. West Texas. West Texas is desolate, and, and, dude. And, and, you know, a lot of the central region. Or if you go to Texas, East Texas, they're the thicket, dude. Yeah, if there's you're a out lot the big thicket, roads. There's people that go hiking. Uh, my friend of mine's cousin, he was, he was like, I knew the guy. He just, he went to the thicket. You know, uh, what's it called? Sam Houston went to, go, went Sam, to go. Yeah, he yeah. went to go hike, and they just he ne was never found. He just really? walked off into oblivion, dude. I mean, it just happens. Yeah, it happens. It happens in places. Um, how far are you guys from um, 
Texarkana. Well, uh, we're roughly five hours, four yeah, and a half. Yeah, I would five say about four and a half to five hours to Texarkana. Well, you got the Falcon Monster right there. Falcon you know? Monster right yes, there. Yes, we yeah, do. We sure do. Legend of awesome. Boggy Creek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do, What are your thoughts on that? I know you're an aquatic uh, cryptids guy, but what are your thoughts on Bigfoot? Well, I I love the movie. The original movie is yeah, great. Me too. Me too. So That's I great. don't know. You know, I haven't been back there looking. You know, but uh, it has quite a history. You know, and then apparently, a lot of the real eyewitnesses were in the original movie playing themselves. Yes. So yes, something's going on. If it's yes. mass hysteria. Or if there's really some kind of creature or population of creatures back there. One thing um, I've noticed is that it seems like there seems to be a connection between the Falk monster, the Missouri monster, the, uh, what's, what's the other one, uh, the Honey Island Swamp monster. They all seem to be in the same general vicinity. And they have a lot of things in common, like three-toed footprints. And I don't know, you know, my only potential explanation of, of why there would be three toad ones is possibly from inbreeding, because there's a tribe in Africa that have inbred, and they call them the ostrich foot people, and they have two toes on all their feet. Just two toes? genetic effect, yeah. Yeah, genetic inbreeding. So yeah, okay. Maybe maybe you're dealing with something like that here, too. It could, it and, could very um, well be. It could the lizard well man. If there's any validity to the lizard man, the lizard man has three toes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So there may be a connection there. I just don't know. Right, you know? Scott. One of the things Until, we talked about too. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, uh, you, we were talking about your research at, at Lake Champlain. I mean. What do you, what do you think it is? I mean, like you know, like we've heard all the different theories, and it's not a, well. You know, According to what most people have described, it sounds like something along the lines of a plesiosaur. And I have thought that for many, many years about the Loch Ness Monster, but with all this new data coming from environmental DNA samples from the water of Loch Ness, they have found no reptilian DNA in Loch Ness. Therefore, that tells me that there can't be a resident population of plesiosaur-like reptiles in Loch Ness. Whether that extends to Lake Champlain, I don't know. But that doesn't rule out, doesn't rule out plesiosaurs coming and going up the River Ness and going back out to sea on occasion if they're rarely visit and there hadn't been any visiting the lake when they took their waters. Well, Scott, you said that they that they actually give birth. You you that they believe you believe they gave birth to live young. That would make sense if they came up into that area to give their birth to the live young, and then they yeah, there's also safe the pool. possibility they could be following. They could be following uh, migratory fish like salmon that only come into the lake to spawn and then uh, die, and that only happens once a year. They could be coming into fresh water to get rid of marine parasites that won't live in fresh water. They know that plesiosaurs could live in fresh water because there's abundant fossil evidence of them finding species of plesiosaurs that it lived exclusively in fresh water. And then there's evidence from up 
at Dinosaur Provincial Park in Alberta of ones coming from the sea swimming up rivers and then going back out. So not only were there types of plesiosaurs that actually lived their whole life in freshwater, but there was evidence that they could flip their osmotic regulatory system like a bull shark to be able to withstand freshwater and saltwater conditions without their body shutting down. Not every animal can do that, but a few can. You've got eels that can do this. You've got saltwater crocodiles can do this. You've got the bull sharks can do this. Uh, eels, freshwater eels do this because they go up back out to sea to spawn and die. And then the young come back to the freshwater once they're hatched. Yeah, and we're talking about bull sharks. The Pondicherry, I think is what it was called. It was a train. That's, that's been around New Orleans. Yeah. Like Poncha train. Yeah, yeah well, that, that's, that's the, um, uh, the, uh, the body of water. It's like a lake where it's kind of brackish, but the, the, yeah, hardly salt water. Yeah, yeah. the shark, the shark was called a Pondicherry, I believe, but it was supposedly, uh, it went extinct and then they recently found one in Sri Lanka. Hmm. But it was I'll supposedly. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, it's called the Pondicherry. And it was, um, and I'm just going off of memory here. I can't, I can't remember. Well, they've called bull sharks in Illinois out of the Mississippi River. Oh, yeah, in Illinois. So they, yeah, that's they right. They come all the way all up to Illinois. So. That's so funny that people have argued with me vehemently that there's no sharks in the rivers. And I'm like, yes, there are. And they don't understand how yes, these, these things work. Yeah. They just do not get there it. There are freshwater know? stingrays in the rivers here in Florida. Mm hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Any anywhere that, that life can live is gonna. There's gonna. They're gonna be. And then we were talking about the dolphins, uh, pink yeah. dolphins. They actually exist. People, you know, the color of cotton. Well, candy. there are I mean, there are river dolphins which are strictly freshwater. Freshwater. The Amazon. In the Amazon, yeah, they live in the Amazon. They live in the uh, rivers in India. Uh, where's the other one? Uh, China, Yangtze mm -hmm. River has yep. some Yangtze. too. Yeah. And how did you, let me ask you this. Now, you, you've been studying and researching for years doing this. How did you first get attracted to and, and kind of settling on your particular niche? Because it's an important niche. There's a lot of people who overlook yeah. it, but it's because it's very important that people, people, because like they, they'll, there are people that focus on Bigfoot and Dogman and, and, and these flying well, how cryptids. Many, how but, many, I mean, you couldn't possibly count all the Bigfoot researchers out there right now. It's ridiculous. There's only a handful of people that do active work on water monsters. Water monsters, because yeah. it's a very prevalent thing. I mean, like, and to me, every time I get in the water, even if it's in the tub, I'm thinking, man, what the heck's going to – I'm just kidding. <laughs> Seriously, though, it, it, I am like – I love the water, and I love to swim. Well, me too. But I'm Absolutely. terrified of what's in it. <laughs> just, yeah. I'm just terrified of it. Well, that you would think that since we have so much water all over the planet, we'd have more water researchers, uh, yeah. you know, but we have more Sasquatch slash uh, Bigfoot slash Yeti researchers well, it's, than it's anything. Well, it's sexier you know? to do that. You know why the Bigfoot thing it's is more- in vogue. Be because it's more, uh, it, they're, they, they're like us. They're, they're, they have they're, two yeah. legs and two arms, whatever. Yeah, they're, they're, they're humanoids. They're humanoid. That's why it's what more, happened yeah. to me is- 11 years old, going to see Jaws. Oh, man. Yeah. I'll tell you yeah. right now. Blowed my court. Between Jaws and the Loch Ness Monster, that really put the hook in me. Yeah. 
Wow. I, well, all Jaws did for me is just what, you know, Wolf mentioned a few seconds ago. I'm like, what could eat me out here? But when I saw, first time I saw the, the um, I believe it was, in the, uh, it was featured on that old show In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. When when the first Loch Ness monster thing was was featured, that got me hooked because you know but it was more was from awesome. the it was more from uh, the perspective of you know you go out on the boat you don't go you don't go down diving after it because then you become lunch you know but I thought but if you're out on the boat hoping to see it or or you find a vantage point up on the on the side of those mountains and stuff that overlooks you know. Uh, Loch Ness, you can sit out there and start scanning and see if you can find. You there know, wasn't a lot anything. of shows back then when we were all young. No. There wasn't a lot of shows well, like that. I mean, like you didn't you, have it. How old are you guys? <laughs> I'm, I'll just tell you I'm, this: I'm I'm, just, I'm close I'm to your age. Five. I'm close I'm to your five. age. Okay, Scott's fifty-five, and Sal, how old are you? you said you're close. Hey, I, hey, I just had a birthday not too long. He's ago. seventy-two. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, anyway, I'm, the point I'm getting at. I'm is your age, Scott. I grew up. When I grew up 40 years ago, I was at the right age when Jaws came out around the same time there were a series of underwater photographs taken at Loch Ness that were all over the newspapers. The flipper pictures were taken a few years before that, but they were taken by the same group of people. There was one that looks like the front end of a plesiosaur. It looks like you see a neck and part of a body and two flippers. And there was another one that is supposedly could be the head of the Loch Ness Monster. Now, some people think that a tree trunk that was retrieved from Loch Ness in 1987 may be the same object, but it's not 100% sure. But around the same time, a couple of months after Jaws came out, these underwater pictures were all over the newspapers. And it was a combination of that and Jaws. That just really put the hook in me, you know. Yeah, Jaws, Jaws got to me, but like I said, I, I I separated the two between the Loch Ness monster and Jaws, you know, because Jaws. I guess the element for me was I uh, didn't. To I, me, it, it was it like just... Jaws. Jaws is a shark. We know about sharks. People, you know, we see stuff about them all the time. So that factor didn't interest me. I right, guess it's right. the unknown factor is what gets me. Are different from most other sharks. No, they I are. Mean, I didn't yeah. know the great white shark was. Until I saw Jaws, you know, my idea was I had seen 20,000 leagues under the sea and seen the sharks in that. And I thought, well, that's what a shark's like. But a great white is like, I mean, it's the Godzilla of sharks. Yes. Of living. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. They're, they're warm-blooded too, right? Yeah, partially warm-blooded. Mm-hmm. They're, wow. they're warm-blooded the same way that a leatherback turtle is. Okay. And they they're can live in the generate, cold water. Yes. They're able to generate. They're not really warm-blooded, but they have a special arrangement of muscles and the way their blood circulates. Right. That they're able to raise their body temperature above the surrounding water temperature and Mm -hmm. function in cold water like a (laughs) warm-blooded animal, even though they're not fully warm-blooded. I I have an called The term for it is bulk homeothermy. Okay. I have an important... uh... Uh, correlation with that. Now I know we know that that megalodon will supposedly went extinct. Now one to, to me one of the reasons why. Okay, let's look at let's let, let me go back and gather my thoughts. What I'm going to tell you or ask you. The McKillian and Bimbe 
when they talk about that, it he's it looks smaller than a brontosaurus. Now, it wasn't like the size of a brontosaurus, but it's big. No, but, but it's it could be like probably it. maybe in the neighborhood twenty feet long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, what if it's like a, like it like it's a, a descendant of that, not the or same a species, of a it. variant of it. And when they when you see plesiosaurs, when you talk about them. There were different sizes, just like there were different sizes of mosasaurs, different species of mosasaur, but they were all mosasaurs. But well, there was plesiosaurs as a group had all kinds. There were various different long, neck lengths. Some of them had necks that were two thirds the length of their body, and other ones had short necks with really big heads. And there was a whole series of intermediate forms in between that. Some of them had different shaped bodies. Like, if you look at their body from from uh, the tail end to the front, looking at it end on, some of them had triangular-shaped bodies. Some of them had round bodies. There was a lot of variation. But the one thing they all had in common was they were propelled by four flippers through the water, like a, almost like a double set of penguin wings. That's the one thing that all the different plesiosaurs had in common. My question was... Uh, what do you think that, that, okay, like you had the plesiosaur that seems to be smaller when, when we when we talk about them now. You're not talking about Predator X type creatures, okay? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then you, strange. yeah, and so you got like these smaller, with, with like, the, like the one in Galveston, okay? Let's just say that that exists. Let's just say for hypothetically between me and you, it exists that that, the Machilium and Bimbe and the, the, the Loch Ness Monster, they all exist. But they seem to be smaller than they were, you know, and, and I and I think there's something to that because well, all animals, all flesh and blood animals go through juvenile stages. Yeah. Maybe they saw a juvenile. Well, because I was gonna say the megalodon is gone, but it's contemporaries that, that did exist at the same time, uh, like the great white, you know, the killer whale, they're still around. Mm-hmm. Killer whales were evolving yeah. to be what they are now at the time of the megalodon, and they actually believe that great whites and killer whales sort of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, tag team the, the megalodon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like they, they out-competed them. They, they fed on the same food source and out-competed them. Yeah, because... because the, go ahead. Part of the reason they think that is that the meg was so big, and one of the consequences of being so big is it had to eat so much food a day. And if it's being out-competed by... Whales that are smarter with bigger brains that hunt in teams, plus a smaller version of itself that doesn't need so much food, they may have driven it into extinction. And another thing that people don't think about is that they had to have areas to breed and to birth their young. And they may have been run out of those places too. And at the same time that the meg goes extinct. There's a major extinction among whales. The whales that they fed on, that may have had an impact on them too. So it may have been a combination of a whole bunch of bad things happening all at once, and they just couldn't hang on, you know? Yeah, because I know like on land, the, the megafauna, you know, there were so many big giant yeah. creatures roaming around, and they're all gone, like the giant sloth. The dire wolf, the, the smilodons. Yeah, well, there's several different ideas about what killed off the uh, Ice Age megafauna. One idea is the what they call the Pleistocene overkill hypothesis. 
that that Paleo Indians came in from Asia across the Bering Land Bridge and it just wiped them out, hunting them and eating them. But the problem with that is their descendants were the American Indians and they didn't hunt the buffalo to extinction. We did. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense that they would have done that to the Plasticine fauna and not done it to the buffaloes and all the other animals that lived on the plains during the Plains Indian period. So the other idea is that simply that that when the ice melted, the temperatures got so hot that these animals that were used to living in cold and ice just couldn't adapt. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of them, like the woolly rhinoceros, the woolly mammoth, they all they all went extinct. One one of the things that that I have heard stories though, like in the area of the taiga, that the taiga re- region in in Russia is very remote, and I got a story out of there. I read about some hunters actually seeing like a couple of woolly mammoths, like, you know, like they were. The the North American Indians have oral traditions about all of these extinct megafauna, mammoths and seventy tigers. And there are things like Indian legends, like the stone giants that were supposedly, you, you throw a spear at them and their hide was impenetrable. Well, the giant ground sloth had dermal armor in their skin like that that could be the origin of the stone giant stories i don't know yeah and there were there were giant um i don't want to call them armadillos but they were like i can't remember the name oh, of glyptodons. Glyptodons. Yeah, glyptodons. 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 that's right yeah they had the some of them had spiked tails yeah yeah they, they and they were they were very similar to the ankylosaur in, in the way that they had the the tail and and the armor but they were mammals, but they, they evolved completely separate, which shows that life kind of repeats itself in the way that, that it... Yeah, uh, it's like convergent evolution. Yeah. Well, because you see, like, what, what, what everybody talks about the uh, tiger. Um, they call it the uh, the the Australian, in my mind. I'm not, oh, not, the thylacine. The, yes, the thylacine. And, and so... You, you know the the way that that creature evolved, and I, it, it's not related to cats or dogs at all. And but it but it's it evolved. It's a marsupial, different. yeah. But it it evolved to eat and attack and kill other marsupials, as like wombats. And it and it evolved. It looks like a dog. It looks like a little dog with the tiger stripes on its butt. Uh-huh. It does, man. And and now people are seeing those all the time. People are seeing those. Um, Megalania, that's another one that, that, that that's a, it's it's a giant reptile. lizard. Yeah, lizard. I was talking and about that, yeah. Do you believe that that it could still be? It got about 20 feet long. It was huge. Do you think it could still be around, roaming around Possibly. the outback? Possibly. I, I wouldn't think it'd be afraid of people, though. No. But I don't know. You because know? I know that the Aborigines have legends of them, of them, and then having to burn them, to, to, to kill them, like by burning the, the, the woods. To kill them out, yeah. You know, to smoke them if out. If you're really interested in in Australian cryptozoology, two people you should check out their uh, work is uh, Rex Gilroy and the other guy is Gary Opit. O p i t. There are a couple of really active Australian cryptozoologists. Yeah, we had Simon Young on. He uh, does Yowie research, and he was real big into the and so. That, that that's yeah i'll check out those other guys though i mean because anybody that i can make contact with to try to that me and sal we always try to find 
people that we can we can you know because I love to uh, research and I like to talk about it and you're a very interesting guest, Scott. I got a lot of information and you're very well, thank uh, you. You're very up. I appreciate on what you having you do. me on. Yeah, well, you you definitely brought uh, you came to you you know you, you brought the game because. Um, you were prepared too. I know that now people don't know this at home, but Scott, you're, you're going all this off of memory because your computer crashed, right? And so most Yeah, of, I've yeah. got some kind of a problem with these Windows 10 updates that is causing the battery in my computer to malfunction. And it shuts off and won't come back on for like five, six, seven hours. Oh my gosh. It's plugged in. It says the battery is going dead. So I got to. <laughs> Next time it comes back up, I've got to figure out how to fix this. But. Yeah, and the Tasmanian tiger—that's what I was trying to remember. It was a because ta- it's, it's in Tasmania. Is a Tasmanian tiger? That's right. Well, that's the same thing as the thylacine. Yeah, yeah. the thylacine. Yeah, of course. It's, I just couldn't remember what they called it. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with the tiger. It's just the stripes on it. Well, there was know? an extinct. There was an extinct marsupial saber-toothed tiger-like animal called thylacolio. And there's been some speculation about it, too, possibly surviving. And where was that located at, though, Scott? In Australia. In Australia, yeah. Somewhere in Australia, probably in the outback, I would imagine. You know, the outback, though, there, I mean, were, even, there were even prehistoric carnivorous kangaroos. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. that. What? Tell, yeah, me, tell me yeah, about that. Imagine, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but if you'll just Google carnivorous kangaroo, it should take you right to it. But imagine. You've seen kangaroos box. Imagine this kangaroo grabs a hold of you and then starts kicking you with those feet. While it's oh, got my gosh. That's so terrifying. It's funny, oh, but it's, it's, it would be terrifying if it happened to me, oh, but it would be funny God. if it happened to somebody else. I wouldn't even imagine it, but I imagine that's probably the way this animal hunted and killed its prey. And so when we, we, were, were, talking about, we were talking about diet, there's evidence now that plesiosaurs ate birds, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, they've actually found plesiosaur bite marks on prehistoric water birds from the age of the dinosaurs. So they know maybe if if these monsters like uh, Nessie and Champ are plesiosaurs, they're feeding on water birds too, besides feeding on fish. Well, I'm sure they they eat anything. I mean, do do you the deadliest seas? I mean, like I was reading something about like how how horrible the ocean and were because a lot of people yeah. don't realize this that that all of this, in Texas where we're from right now it was an inland sea it was all underwater yeah all yeah. underwater and you not only had you not only had plesiosaurs and mosasaurs you had some nasty sharks that lived alongside them too oh yeah that's crazy like when you look at these creatures and you think I'm so glad they're not around anymore but then again they might still be but I hope they're not. That's the creepy and you thing. Hope you're not in the water with them. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you believe that though? Like it, like as far as like your belief, do you believe that they're still around? Yeah, but I can't prove it. Yeah, well, I, I believe I it too. I think they are, but you know that's why I'm still going every year to do my field work to see if I can find something. What I've tried to do the last few years is concentrating on finding remains of a dead one somewhere on the bottom of the lake, underwater somewhere. What, what do you think about this? I was given a story, and, and I saved it so, so when me and you could get on here and talk, and I was given a story, and one of the stories was there was a woman that said that she witnessed a 
plesiosaur, which what looked like a plesiosaur, and it was this was off the coast of Florida, and they were like in in not real deep water, and they were snorkeling, and she said that her and her husband and her two kids who were grown, they were grown up kids, they weren't they were like in their like late teens, early twenties. So these weren't like little kids. So they were witnesses to this. They saw what looked like a plesiosaur type animal, like and, and not and not in the distance. She said it was like a couple hundred yards, but they could make out what it was. You could see the long neck and everything. And they said mm-hmm. that as it started to come toward them, like they they didn't really panic at first, but as it got closer, they got a really good look at it. They began to to book it for the shore and, and where they were snorkeling was an area where you could walk for a long ways, you know, in, in waist deep water. It didn't get any deeper. And I can't remember off the top of my head, like where exactly that was, but it was somewhere near Florida near the keys, I believe. And they said that this creature came toward them and it, it just like faded and like disappeared. Like it didn't go under the water and like, does it like swim? And then, you know, it just kind of came toward them and then it just like disappeared. Like, okay, we were talking earlier about the paranormal aspect of that. That's like, what is that? Like, do you, was that a time slip? Like in your mind, what would you think that would be? I don't know. I tend to to want to think that these things are just normal flesh and blood animals. But, you know, some people have other theories. Probably the, most concrete thing I can point to regarding this idea. Do you listen to Coast to Coast AM quite a bit? Um, no, I don't. I I, di- I did at one time. I you know, but my schedule now doesn't really permit it. But yeah, I have heard well, it. They used to have a guy on there fairly regularly. A guy they called him Major Ed Dames. Oh, Ed Dames. Yes, of course. All the, right, the remote well, viewer. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Well, according to Ed Dames, they were asked by President Clinton to look for the Loch Ness Monster. And in their remote viewing experiments, according to him, they kept seeing plesiosaur-like creatures, and they made drawings of them and everything, but they would fade in and out as they were viewing them. So their tentative theory was that the Loch Ness Monster was the ghost of a plesiosaur, was the way he explained it. That would be weird, like, because yeah. a spirit I, that would be that long. This. I'm just relaying the information, you know, like he said it. Have you ever seen a movie called um, The Men That Stare at Goats? Oh, yes. About yeah. remote viewing. Yeah. Okay, the opening scene is based on what he was talking about. The very first scene in the movie is this guy talking about the ghost of the Loch Ness Monster. And that's what that's based the on. The remote viewing. Oh, I never made that yeah. connection. And there's a book called Sci-Spies by a guy named Jim Mars, and he talks about it in that book. Jim Mars a legend, definitely. Well, there you go. Yeah, he's passed away now. But anyway, that's that's the most concrete story that I know related to this idea that it may be something supernatural. And then there's another idea that has been put forward about quartz deposits creating some kind of a black hole and these things coming in and out of the prehistoric past through a wormhole of some sort. Yeah. So there's another idea. So that would could explain something appearing and then disappearing. So 
But the science behind these ideas is very shaky. If there is any science behind them at all, these are just abstract ideas in search of science to carry the ideas. So, I don't know. But a ghost walking this monster would fall into the purview of parapsychology. And there is some validity, I believe, to certain aspects of parapsychology. So, Absolutely. So, you might want to call uh, paranormal cryptozoology would more better be classified as zooparapsychology, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Apparitions that look like animals are ghosts of dead animals. I don't know. But well, I've got a ton like of stories. Like I said, I don't, I don't endorse the idea, but I've got no proof that it's not the truth. I just find it very unlikely to be the truth. Yeah. If that makes any sense. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, you know, the simpler answer to me is that we're just dealing with flesh, flesh and blood, and blood animals that we haven't discovered yet that are very elusive. But I don't know, you know? You know, Scott, much like the dogman, the whole werewolf thing, whatever, there's a debate. If it's, it's a werewolf, it's a skinwalker, it's a dogman, it's a flesh and blood, it's a spirit. I think the answer is all of the above. I think they all exist. Well, I, I saw an interview with Linda Godfrey. I would I would imagine most people consider her to be the expert on the subject. And she said that even at this point, after researching it for 30 years, she doesn't have an answer. So, there you go. I don't know. I've been after the truth for that for over 20 years, at least 20, however long it's been. Um, I'm almost 45, so I'll be 45 next summer, so it's, I'm 44 so, yeah, since I was 15, it's like 30 years, I mean, of just trying, but really, really hardcore researching it and trying to get stories about it and stuff for the last 20, 25 years and, and getting a lot of information and uh, about those particular creatures and because that's kind of my thing was just to try to figure out what it was, you know. And well, you know, even if they are supernatural creatures, hypothetically, even some people that endorse the paranormal explanation still believe that they can take a physical form when they manifest themselves and leave footprints and have a physical body. They're not just, you know, a mist or something. But, you know, I mean, the problem the problem with this whole thing is that, you know, if you say they're flesh and blood animals, you still got to deal with the aspect of, well, they're not any recognized species that we know of, so, you know, they could be a survivor of some kind of prehistoric species that's supposed to be extinct. You've got that hurdle to get over. But if you bring in the paranormal thing, you're adding an extra layer of, okay, we're not only questioning what we know about biology, but we're questioning what we know about physics as well, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not knocking it. I'm just telling you, you know why the scientific community has a problem with it, you know, not only with flesh and blood cryptozoology, but with an added layer of paranormal on top of that, you know. So. I have no, like I, like, I don't discount any of that because I've I've gotten stories of these things. Man, I've gotten stories of these things, like, Going from, I've never gotten a story from like a human changing into um, one of these creatures, but I did. A literal get, werewolf. Yeah, a literal yeah. werewolf. But I have gotten stories of them going from from being werewolf like into a man. 
and I got it from a guy that was a pest control that that he was he was there to do pest control and there was a security guard and they both they don't even know each other from Adam and they both told me the same story. It was just weird. I mean, you get stories like that, you know, and I've talked about it on the show. And then you get stories like you know, if you're dealing with some kind of spiritual you know, that's not flesh and blood, if these things exist, then they could take any number of forms, I would imagine, you know. Well, it, 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 yeah, I guess it just depends if you're dealing with the spirit, I mean, of some sort of creature or, or whatever. I mean, and like, I don't discount like anything in the spirit realm because I, I know that ghosts, you're talking about animals. Um, I've gotten lots of stories from people of, of animals well, there are, being ghosts. Among, if you look in the, the uh, history of parapsychology, there is a thing called an animal poltergeist. It's very rare, but, you know, it's the ghost of an animal, supposedly. And sometimes they have been seen to change shapes into unrecognizable animals, allegedly, according to the the stories and the lore, you know. But, so, you ever, I mean. You ever heard of the, the story of the mongoose that could talk? Oh, Jeff, yeah. Yeah, Jeff, yeah. I was gonna, I was going to say that. If you, if you'd that ever happened heard of him. around the same time. As the Loch Ness monster was becoming famous, that is so crazy. Like, and what are your thoughts on that? Well, it sounds like something very similar to the Bell Witch Poltergeist case from Tennessee. So it's probably some kind of a, you know, if there's any truth to it, probably some kind of a spirit, demon, something. I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't there. You know. Yeah, because I know the Bell Witch. They they actually claim to have seen like a hairy type creature that was. Seen in the cornfields and seen in this cave. Yeah, it's really, it's a really weird story. I believe that probably the Bell Witch was probably the inspiration for the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, I don't know for sure, but it's very similar. So I think that's where they probably got the idea. Um, but yeah, you know, my my main field of interest is this aquatic cryptid thing. But I also, you know, tangentially follow developments in parapsychology and other fields of cryptozoology and you know it just you know if you if you have even a, a slight you know interest in any of this stuff you always run into other people that are working on aspects of this other stuff too because mm-hmm. it's all relative so pick up yeah i pick up bits and pieces of it what are your now, thoughts strongest, on the... i'm sorry go ahead go ahead no go ahead I don't know. Go ahead, Scott. Finish what you were saying. I was going to say that that my understanding of the best scientific evidence for parapsychology phenomenon is evidence of ESP. But you've also, on the fringes of that, you've got people that actively investigate ghosts and apparitions and all this other stuff, too. So there must be at least some validity to all of it a small hardcore of evidence, you know, so I don't know. Have you, have you ever encountered like, okay, you were doing a lot of research, um, on champ. You have studied the lot. Well, I believe, I believe I had a champ sighting back in 1994. Absolutely. Want to get into that. Um, here, here, here's what I want to ask. Have you ever heard of any like stories from like people that are like in, like on ships, military, or like submarines who pick up anything on sonar that's like not 
normal, something that you could say that could be something? Like, do you? Well, one of my favorite, the most, uh, one of my favorite sea serpent sightings happened in 1965 from a Navy uh, submersible called the Alvin. They were going underwater in the Bahamas to inspect some underwater listing array for the government, which was down there to look for enemy subs and all that kind of stuff. And they went down and they saw this, what initially looked like a swimming telephone pole. And they watched it out the window, and it was only there for a minute, but it looked like a plesiosaur, and they watched it on sonar after it got out of visual range. And I spoke to the captain of the submersible, a guy named Marvin McCamus, on the phone back in the late 1990s and verified an account I had heard about this in a book. And I spoke to him, and I sent him a bunch of material, and he wrote me back and stuff. So that was, to me, probably beyond the Valhalla Sea Serpent, that's probably the most impressive sighting that I've ever heard of by somebody that was an experienced marine explorer. Wow. That's crazy. And so you, well, that's a lot to take in. Okay. So you, you have been studying this for a long time and then you've been studying champ for how many years? Well, probably more or less 30 years. My first trip to Lake Champlain before I moved there was in November of 1992. So, you could say I've been doing field research for 27 years. So, okay, so you uh, like t- tell tell us about the uh, the sighting that you had. All right, April 1994. After I moved to, well, actually, no, this would have been about three months after I moved there. I moved there in April 1994, but my sighting happened in July of 1994, about three months after I moved there. I was sitting in this park that overlooks the lake called Battery Park in Burlington, Vermont, scanning the lake with binoculars. I had just spent all my money moving up there, so I didn't have a camera yet. So I was just basically getting on my feet. I got a job, and it was my day off, and I was watching the lake with binoculars. About a thousand yards out from the park, out into the, the lake, I see this thing come up with like a big mound. I estimate to be about 15 feet long, a garbage bag color, a greeny black. In the middle of it, there's a smaller hump-looking object. Then it turns, and the smaller object is on the right end of this big mound. And it's swimming along, and it's moving up and down, bobbing along, then it stops, and it sinks. So essentially, I think what I saw, this is hard to say, but I think what I saw was one of these champ animals swimming on its side with one of its flippers up in the air as it's bobbing along, and then it sank. It's possible it could have been a head, but it didn't have a long neck, but it had sort of a turtleish-looking profile. So essentially, it looked kind of like a giant leatherback sea turtle, about 15 feet long. And this all happened in a matter of like 10 seconds, and it was gone. But I was watching anything binoculars. That's the only thing unusual I've seen. Do you think that that's what it is? A giant leatherback sea turtle? Um, no, but I think it probably has features kind of like a leatherback sea turtle. In other words, if it's a marine reptile, it has 
thermal adaptions to live in the cold water at Lake Champlain, which sometimes freezes over during the winter, it's got to have some kind of elevated metabolism to be able to stand the water temperatures if it's in there all the time. And it wouldn't be a sea turtle because it's not in the sea, but you, you, you see what well, I'm saying. Well, yeah. you know, it, last year they found a dead leatherback sea turtle in a lake in Nova Scotia. Whoa. So, I don't how, know. How did that happen? How they still that... know. Nobody knows how it happened. They think it swam into the lake and couldn't find its way back out and died for some reason. But it was a leatherback sea turtle, and they're the largest sea turtle species we know of so far. They can get eight feet long. So, Do you think that this, that really happened? Is Lake is Lake Champlain connected to to the to the ocean? Yeah, in two places. That's right. Connected okay. to the Hudson River and to the uh, St. Lawrence River up north in Canada. Oh, I knew the Hudson. I was going to say because I wanted to clarify that for the audience, but I didn't know the Lawrence, the St. Lawrence. I don't think. Yeah, actually, what is Lake Champlain now? Used to be part of an inland sea at the end of the Ice Age called the Champlain Sea, much larger body of water that mostly was up in Quebec and Ontario. And they have found remains of a beluga whale from that time period in Charlotte, Vermont, a whole skeleton. It's the Vermont State Fossil, and they've also found steel bones on the New York side of the lake. There are so many, uh, like, because I know all of Canada was pretty much covered yeah. With water. And now there's lake, just well, first lake, it was after ice, lake after lake. And then all that ice melted. And the water had to go somewhere. And when it did, it flooded and connected these places with the sea. And it became salt water for a while. I think Canada is just all water. <laughs> if you try, there's like a lake after yeah, lake I, after lake. I'd hate, to, I'd hate to have to count all the lake monsters reported from Canada. And there's so many lakes up there, it's ridiculous. And a good number of them have some kind of monster stories attached to them. So the lake, I know that in Canada, I, th I think I read somewhere that Canada has more lakes than any other country in the world. I believe that's if that's correct. There's a lot of them up there. There's a ton of them, and so yeah, I was like, uh, that, that's funny. Whenever I think well, about part that. of Lake Champlain is in Canada. Did yeah, you know that. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the very top end of it is actually in Quebec. Yeah, it's 129 miles long. God, it's a big, that is huge. That Four is unreal. Feet deep. You get out in the middle of it, it's like you're being out on the ocean. Oh, yeah. Know? That's how Lake Superior is, too. I mean, like, you, you go any of those big, oh, yeah. uh, great lakes. Oh, yeah. Lake Superior lakes. makes Lake Champlain look like a mud hole. It's oh, thousand feet deep. It's just like a giant, it's like the ocean. I mean, it really is. It's just like the ocean. It's crazy, because, like, all that at one time, though, was all connected from all the way through from Canada all the way down through Mexico. Yep. It was all underwater mm -hmm. at one time. It was like Oh, a, yeah, that's in the time of the Plesiosaurus. That Plesiosaurus. was the uh, Western Interior Seaway, they called it. What are your thoughts on Predator X? Because everybody likes to, to hear about that, the Predator X thing. Well, it was a giant short-necked Plesiosaur that lived in... Um, Norway, I believe. Yeah, they found they found they found two two different uh, specimens now, or at least pieces of them. I think it got about forty forty feet long, I believe. Oh, it was because because I, I I heard that it was one hundred and thirty feet long. 
none of them got that big. Yeah, that's what I had heard. I, I, I like was the initial. I don't know where you heard that, but no, they, they got probably about forty feet long. I would imagine. Oh my gosh, I thought I it was much I'll bigger than that. Top my head. No, no, no. Dinosaurs. Some dinosaurs got like a hundred and I think maybe one of the biggest sauropods was like a hundred seventy feet long, about the size of a blue whale. But that was a land animal. But a forty foot long giant plesiosaur with a eight foot head would be scary enough without being one hundred thirty feet long. Wow, because I remember watching some video, and I had taken, I think I took my nephews to the IMAX, and we watched some show, and I kept falling asleep, <laughs> like twice. Well, there's been a couple of them. There's Pete uh, Monsters, a prehistoric adventure. I think that's what... And there's another was, one, too, and I can't remember what it's called. The prehistoric adventure part's what got me, yeah, because I, 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 I think the other one I'm thinking of is called C-Rex. Yeah, I didn't see that one. But the other yeah, one I've got both familiar. of them on video somewhere. Yeah, because I got that DVD and and I watched it twice in the theater and I fell. I had sleep apnea real bad when I was overweight and I. <laughs> I fell somewhere asleep, I've you know? got. When when they first discovered Predator X, they had like a two hour long special about it on the Discovery Channel. And somewhere I've got that on video, but it was a scary animal. I mean, it was a scary animal regardless. Was that then? Now, what was the largest um, ocean-going predator that's ever lived that we know of? I think it would probably be a mosasaur that was fifty-five feet long, maybe sixty. And Basilosaurus, a whale, got sixty-five, seventy feet long. Would that mosasaur? Would that be a contemporary of Megalodon? No, supposedly the mosasaurs went extinct millions of years before Megalodon. Before Megalodon, yeah. Megalodon showed up, I think, around 20 million years ago. The mosasaurs were supposed to have gone extinct 65 million years ago, so you've got a gap of like 40 million years. But if we're talking about they may still survive out in the ocean, well, they'd have to be contemporaries. So, yeah. But that's depending on if they survived beyond their extinction. 20 million years, that's a relative newcomer. I mean, when you look at the the big scheme of things. Yeah, it's, you know, we're talking about just staggering gulfs of time. You know, they think the Earth is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 4 billion years old. And the first multicellular life forms apparently show up around 500 million years ago. And then you've got a whole series of, you've got the evolution of first fish show up, and then you've got some of them coming on land that become amphibians, and then the reptiles and the mammals come out of that assemblage of amphibians. You, you had some scary prehistoric amphibians. You had this one named Prionosicus, got 30 feet long, like a, a giant crocodile, but it was a salamander, basically. So yeah, this, I mean, you look at some of these prehistoric animals that lived before the dinosaurs are my environment. What do you think about the cephalopods? Like, I've, I've heard over and over again that they are the smartest if not in the ocean, but not and just possibly on Earth. Like, a very well, very intelligent. They're supposed to be highly intelligent. They, I know they can train octopus to perform tricks. And octopus can figure out how to get out of tanks and do all kinds of things like that. And uh, they're supposedly they're, they they think they can't hear that their entire 
input is visual, and it's amazing how they can change the patterns on their skin to camouflage themselves. And some of them are, are bioluminescent, can, can light up like an electric light. And they think they may communicate through making patterns on their skin, with, you know, to communicate with each other visually. Do you believe that they could they could be like the future, like what 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 is left if mankind were to let's say tomorrow mankind just was gone do you think cephalopods would fill the gap there's been some speculation about that in these uh speculative documentaries about what sort of animals would evolve if man went extinct and some of them were land going cephalopods so i don't know i mean these are based on scientific speculation so it's possible I believe I believe there are cephalopods are among probably the most abundant animals that there's probably tides living in the deep ocean that we don't know about and we haven't found yet that would probably blow our mind beyond just the giant squid and the uh, colossal squid. There's probably other ones, big ones out there that we don't know about that may be much weirder than the ones that we do know about. Now, I saw a documentary once about uh, the Kraken, and it was about uh, the giant squid, and it was actually, it, it, and they found like its lair, and it had actually been killing uh, these ichthyosaurs, and it yeah, had been- Yeah, that's Triassic Kraken out in Nevada, yeah. Yes. Oh, okay, so you know about yep. that. And, yes. Yeah, and so, do you want to talk about that? Explain that? Well, I just- um was discovered these pile of massive pile of ichthyosaur bones like they had been arranged by something in a pattern. So the idea came I mean the the ichthyosaurs we're talking about were the largest ones known, these shastosaurs that got about I think sixty feet long. That's a big animal. So anything that would have been preying on them would have had to been a colossal animal of its own right. I mean, it would have been the Kraken, the legendary so, Kraken. Based, yeah. So based on just initially the discovery of the bones as paleontologist, Mark McMenamin came up with the idea that it was some kind of a giant cephalopod that was preying on these ichthyosaurs and playing with their bones. Wow. Just based on that. How like long again, ago would that have been, on, Scott? Oh, well, this would have been probably 250 million years ago. Ooh, that's a long time. Somewhere that never a long time ago. So anyway, in addition to that, he, he found something that looks like a giant beak. I don't know if you know about this, but octopus and squid have beaks that look like a parrot beak. Well, he found a fossilized something that looks like part of a giant beak. So this may be actual physical evidence for this animal but it's highly controversial so that's about all i know about it yeah because i know that some of the bones they they said that they had marks on them that were you know it's just crazy it just blows your mind it's like what man i don't know and and, and nowadays you'll even they'll find whales with uh marks on them from the suckers because some of the suckers from on the these, suckers yeah on the skin they yeah. have little teeth on them that. Like the, yeah, well, the, the, some, of these, some of these big squids actually have hooks inside their suckers. Yeah, yeah, like teeth. They, they, they almost hook, like teeth. 
into uh, their prey and hold on it, not only with suction, but with those hooks, too. That's crazy. Yeah. Man, that is crazy. You are a wealth of uh, knowledge, my friend. <laughs> and it's cool that because well, a lot of this. Well, it's awesome to talk to you because I mean, this is cool to me. We've been we've been kicking this back and forth, folks, for a long time. Me and Scott, but he's busy. I'm busy. He's a lot of research and he's on location. And um, we finally got to to get this done. I mean, I've been really busy. I work a lot, and, and but I yeah, am well. very. Um, I read a lot about this kind of stuff. It's very <laughs> fascinating to me, and you are just on point every time I bring well, any, the subject. Any time you want to have me back on, by all means. Heck yeah, dude. Do. This is awesome. Yeah. So I appreciate you coming on, Scott, and talking and well, about all the things. Yeah, I mean, there's just, just a wealth of knowledge and things that most people wouldn't, don't, you know, they just kind of overlook. But you are uh, meticulous in your and you in your well, I'm well your grounded memory. in the science. Especially the paleontology end of it, so that mm-hmm. keeps me grounded, you know. Absolutely, and and you, and you, this was all from memory too. Like everything, like folks, I didn't sit here and read off anything. Like I, this is stuff that I had researched. And Scott, you were on point with everything I threw out there. We didn't really pre-interview or anything. We just started talking, and you came, you know, you came on, and and every every story I brought up, you you knew it, and you just that's pretty amazing. Um. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I really enjoyed you coming on, Scott, and we will definitely well, thank you. do it again. And um, yeah, absolutely. All right, folks. Well, that's all the time we have with Scott Martis and Scott. We appreciate you coming on, and thanks for talking to us and and giving us yep. all this amazing information. And we will definitely be in touch. And uh, yep. If you you know if anybody wants to go to your group and wants to participate, as long as you follow the group rules. You know, yep. Zombie Plesiosaurus Society and Ghost Plesiosaurus Society, and uh, yep. Lake the, Monster Skeptical the, Forum and uh, Champ Lake Champlain Monster yep. Research by Scott Martis, William Duganis. Yep. The other one. Scott, you need to write books. You got a lot of information. I'm working. I already got one out, actually. Yeah. Wh- what is it? Night of the Living Dead Plesiosaurs. It's on Amazon. Oh, my gosh. I'll be going to get that. I didn't even know you had that. I'll be buying that tonight. <laughs> it's cheap, too. It's digital. It's $7. Heck, yeah. All right. That's awesome. Yeah. Folks, Scott Martis, everybody. And I appreciate you coming on. All right. Have a good night. You, too, Scott. <laughs>